You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Good morning, church. My name's Landon. I'm the next-gen pastor here, so that means I oversee our kids and students' teams. And, man, I'm super excited to, uh, to continue this series this morning. Uh, thankful for Pastor Trent and uh, the work he's put in for this awesome series and giving me the opportunity to share with you all again this morning. And so we have been in a series, as you all know, called Life on the Mountain. And it's been a, a hiking-themed message series. And, and uh, we've been studying Jesus' message, his Sermon on the Mount. And it has been a phenomenal series. And so I'm just going to be honest, today's message, uh, man, it's been sitting on my heart for a while. I actually uh, was just finishing it up yesterday morning. I normally uh, like to be pretty far in advance on my message prep, but this one's just kind of been sitting, and it's kind of been in a life that I've been walking through right now. And so, man, I hope it encourages you, and I hope it inspires you today as, uh, as we jump in. And so, like I said, this is a hiking-themed message series. And so one of the things I love to do is I love to get some of our guys in the student ministry, and I love to take them hiking. I love to take them backpacking, and uh, I think it's, it's, so, it's, so, it's such a good time of discipleship. We're really just able to get away from it all. And so one day I was taking a, a group of our students, me and Pastor Alex were taking a, a group of students, and we were going up, I forget where the trail was. And uh, man, the best thing about uh, backpacking, not just camping, you know, campsites are pretty packed in the summertime. Backpacking, you really don't see a lot of people. There might be one or two other uh, groups at, at your campsite, but that's about it. So you really can get alone. And you're in the backcountry. So that means you got to hike three, four, five miles to get away from everything. You know, there's no lights. There's no cell phone signal. There is nothing. And so I'm really excited about getting uh, this group of students away from the noise of life and just to kind of hang out with them. And so it's pouring rain, which is, was terrible. But, but we, we crossed the stream like 19 times back and forth. We weren't prepared for that. But we finally get to our campsite. And the worst thing happens. Okay. Well, first off, we saw at our campsite, there was a sign that said, please note that this campsite has lots of bear activity. Okay. So, you know, Black bears, they're, they're not like grizzly bears. You know, yeah, you don't really want to run across one, but I'm, we're not freaking out or anything. Uh, some of the guys are, uh, but we're not, we're not too worried. We're going to store our food at night, so it's not going to be a big deal. And, uh, but the worst thing happens, and it has nothing to do with the bear. I take a group of students into the woods to a campsite three or four miles from the, like, the nearest road, and there's cell phone signal, Okay. And everybody's like, sweet, we got signal, I got bars, you got bars, I got LTE, let's go. And I'm like, no, like I've lost everything. And so one of the kids who's spooked like, like is calling their mom at the campsite. And I'm like, you might be in here this morning, I don't know. Uh, and I'm like, no, this is awful. Like we were supposed to get away from it all. We was no cell phone signal. It was the worst because that's the best part about hiking for me. Like, like no cell, cell phone service, uh, the notifications aren't blasting in, you're away from the worry of it all, you don't know what's happening, you don't hear the rumors of what's happening in the news, uh, you don't hear about on social media what people might say happened in your life or what's going on. Uh, I mean, for, you just get alone. 
You just go hiking. And for me, that really resets my soul. That's how I, I, I have personal time. That's how I, I need to get away from it all. And that's why I actually think one of the best hobbies you can get your, your kids into or your students into is hiking because it teaches them to retreat and, and get away from the noise. And so as great as smartphones are, and as great as social media is, and as great as our interconnected Wi-Fi, cell phone signal world is, it's also hurting us as well. Psychology Today writes this. It says, the, and this blows me away, the average high school kid today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient of the 1950s. So think about that for a moment. The average high school student. And you start to look at that, that fact, and, and, and I know this was a study on high school students specifically because that's kind of my world, but I would say that anybody who is super interconnected digitally is probably experiencing a higher level of anxiety than the decades before, and that's only going to increase as we become more and more interconnected. Why is this the fact? Well, here's, here's why I believe that. I believe that, that teens experience this level of anxiety because the level of interconnectedness that they have. See, teens have access to 100% of the information at 100% of the time at their fingertips. I mean, think about this. 72 hours of new YouTube content is uploaded every minute. So at the touch of our fingertips, we have 72 new hours of video to watch if, if we decided to consume that. I mean, this is unprecedented. I mean, you and I now can know 100% of what is happening 100% of the time. See, here's the thing. We can know what is happening. You used to only be able to know what's going on in your neighborhood. Now you can know what's going on in countries and in places that you would never even dream of going. You can know what is happening. See, we can also know what has happened. So, so we can look at history now. We can see what, what, what happened previously. We can see what happened in people's lives that made their vacation so good. We can know what has happened and we can know what could happen. You can read an article about how if you use this detergent or if you do this, you're going to die of cancer this way. You can talk about if you have a bellyache that you're going to go on WebMD and you're going to find out that you're going to die tomorrow. I mean, you can know what could happen in every circumstance. You always can know what could happen. And here's the thing also, we can know what people say will happen. So, so Facebook makes this place where everybody's going to comment their opinion on your post. Oh, you don't really need to go there. You need to go there. So we can, you know, at 100% of the time, know all of these things. And whether you're a Christian in the room this morning or not, you're just checking out church or you're watching online. Like, I think we can all agree that whether, maybe you don't agree that we have a soul but I think we all can agree that the human soul, the human psyche, the human mind, our, our bodies were never made to process that much information at one time, were we? I think we can all agree with that. And see, when we try to keep up with all of those things, you know what we experience? Anxiety. Because we're inundated with all the information of all the world. And we experience anxiety. And so now we worry about what's happening. 
And, and, and we worry about what has happened. Are they going to find out? Is that, is that Facebook post that I posted when I was in, in college, is that going to resurface now that I'm doing this job interview? Like, we, we can worry about what has happened. We can worry about what could happen. We can know all the different ins and outs of what our decisions are going to make. And now we're going to worry about, about what people say will happen. And here's what I know. is our world is made to have 100% of the information at 100% of the time, but our souls are not. And in fact, Jesus is saying the same thing in our text this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we're going to be this morning. Like I said, we're walking through Jesus' greatest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to read it today as we have in this entire series Out of an eyewitness account of a man named Matthew. He's compiling eyewitness accounts. And we are going to be in Matthew 6, 25. And so as you're turning there, I want to remind you, if if you missed Father's Day last week, maybe you're out on the lake, make sure you go check it out online. Pastor Trent preached an amazing message on materialism. It was probably the best message I've ever heard on money in my life. You need to go check it out. Go to foothillschurch.com slash watch our latest sermons. We want you to go check that out before you come back next week because it was awesome. And and we're going to pick up where he left off today. So Jesus is teaching his most famous message, the Sermon on the Mount. And most of Christianity's tweetable quotes, their quotables, come from this sermon. And he's addressing all kinds of different issues. He's talking about divorce. He's talking about remarriage. He's talking about adultery. He's talking about do unto others as you would have them do unto you. He's talking about all kind of the hot topics of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to live life like Jesus, or as we're saying, live life on the mountain. And so where we pick up, he just talked about money. And he talks about don't store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And he he says, or don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth, but rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And kind of the, the bottom line of his message was this. No one can serve two masters. You'll either serve God or you'll serve money. And so he picks up and he says this. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Now, that's a sermon right there. We, we, could, we could have a whole book on that right there. Don't be anxious about your life. And so, you know, this, this word here is important, okay, therefore. Now, I was told in, in school as you're learning how to, how to read the text that anytime you see a therefore in Scripture, what you need to think is what is it there for? So that means you need to backtrack and read the passage before it. So, so let's pick up there. Jesus just said you can't serve two masters. You can either serve God or you can serve money. You don't get to, you don't get to, to dip your foot in both. You can serve one or the other. And so he says, you, you don't need to be anxious about your life because your life and your circumstances are not your master. Now, I feel like I could start preaching that to my own life this morning. Why am I worried about where I'm going to live? The, the market isn't my master. Why am I worried about my savings account? Uh, Those accounts aren't my master. Why am I worried about our ministry getting more volunteers? That's not my master. So what Jesus is saying is you don't need to worry about any of your life circumstances because in the end, those things don't master you. And, And so he's picking up here and he's talking about anxiety over our life. And he says, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body. 
or what you will put on. Is life more than food? Some of y'all really might have to ask that. <laughs> Some of you teenage boys are like, I don't really know. Uh, is not life more than food? Is the body not more than clothing? Now, I want you to imagine Jesus' crowd for a moment. He, he just talked about laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So he's talking to people who, who can lay up treasures, meaning they have excess. These are the people who have the, the big 401ks. These are the people who have, you know, tons of stock. These are the people, they, they have all that they need and far, far more. They have the cars. They have it all. He said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And he kind of switches now. He kind of starts talking to, to those who, who are struggling to have their basic needs met. And I know in a church this size, there's some of you all, you have more cars than you need. You have more money than you need. You could drop a couple hundred grand. You could buy the property next door, and we could plant a campus in Bearden next month. But for some of us, you're struggling in debt. You, you, you really are struggling to make ends meet, and, and putting food on the table is, is a struggle. And so now he's kind of switching his view here, not talk about those who have too much, but talk about those who are worried about having enough at all. And he's making a point when he says this. He says, you know, is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, for us in America, we struggle to understand this because the most basic need that we have is water. And, and, and food and water, they're the most basic needs here around the world. But we have that met here in America. I mean, starvation in America is not something that anybody regularly dies of. Having clean water is not something that here in America we regularly struggle with. But when he says this, when Jesus says that statement, for us in, in, in America, 21st century Americans, it's kind of like, well, yes, that's the most basic needs of our life. But if you've ever been to a developing country, you know that there can be kids and there can be adults who don't have clean water who don't have a good well, and who do not have regular food on their table, who are struggling to have a meal at all, and they can be completely content and joyful in God. So when he says this, he's saying a point here, that there's more to life than food, water, and clothing. But he continues down that road, and he talks about a couple areas. He talks about this. He talks about the worry about your food. So remember, primarily Jesus... It's talking to the basic needs of his first century Jewish audience. And, and I want you to remember where Jesus is at here. And I have a picture. Uh, I believe it's the, the next picture. Okay? So this is a, 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 a view of what it looks like now to where, where probably Jesus was teaching on a mount somewhere around here. So, so it's a, a pretty beautiful place. I mean, this is a place overlooking the sea. I mean, maybe you've been to, to Andrew's Bald here in the Smokies or Gregory's Bald or Max Pat's. Some of these just amazing high elevation places. My wife and I, we went to Big Sur several months ago, set up in the high elevations above the Pacific ocean. I mean, just a, an amazing view here. And so Jesus, he's communicating up on this mountain. People are sitting at his feet. The breeze is blowing. And, it, and he says this. He says in verse 26, he says, all right, we're up here on the mountain. Look at the birds. Okay, you, you look around. I mean, look at where we're at, guys. It's so beautiful up here. Look at the birds. They neither sow nor they reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? See, this is a very simple object lesson that Jesus is using here. 
And so whether you believe Jesus or not, whether you agree that he was the son of God or not, no one looks at the birds and thinks, wow, the birds are worried. Like if you have a dog, your dog's not stressed out about his next meal. He's probably sleeping on your floor right now. Like, like they're, they're not worried. They're not stressed out. Sure, some, some birds, they stockpile seeds and nuts for the winter, but, but no birds stockpile so that they can impress their friends on Facebook. Like, like they're not worried about this. So if the birds don't worry, why should you? Because food is not our master. Then he talks about this. He talks about our lifespan. Now, in, in, in our world, we, we, we obsess over lifespan. And so he says this. He says, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? He's just, again, he's just, just very basic stuff here, just kind of making us think. Almost a rhetorical question. Now, our culture is obsessed with lifespan. No one likes the thought of getting older and older. The hardest thing for my mom was turning from mom to grandma when I had a kid. She did not like that. That was a tough curve for her. But often, we spend so much time trying to extend our lives. We exercise. We take supplements. We augment our bodies with surgery or Botox to defy the rules of aging. And Jesus is not saying any of those things are wrong. He's just saying that whether we like it or not, our date is set. No matter how healthy you are, no matter how, 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 how often you work out, no matter how many supplements you take, all it takes is a wrong turn, a bad decision, for our lives to be over. Our date is set at the end of the day. And and so he's saying, guess what? 100% of us in this room, we're all going to die. So if we can't add an hour to our life, why should we worry about our lives? Because death has lost its sting. It is not our master. And then he talks about another area here. He talks about worry about your clothes. He says this in verse 28. It says that, it says that, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Now, remember where he's at. He's up on this beautiful mountainside. He's like, look, look, look everywhere around us here. Consider the lilies of the field. They grow. They neither toil. They neither work, nor they spin. They, neither, they don't make clothes. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, the richest man of all time, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the fields, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Now, in first century Jewish audience, they would have known that flowers were used in a baking process to make bread quicker. So, like, you may go from conventional cooking to convectional cooking. When they would put a flowers in the oven, it would essentially bake the bread a little bit quicker. So, they know that these flowers, when they're, they're going to be reefed up and they're going to be used essentially as kindling for the ovens. And he says, look at how beautiful that they are. How God just clothes them in beauty and splendor. How much more will he clothe you, his children? So he says all these things. Why are you anxious? Hadn't Solomon, I mean, even Solomon. And he goes through all these different things. And he pulls it down and he says, oh, you of little faith. Now, I love how Jesus just kind of bluntly puts it here. 
He just comes out and says it. He doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't say, well, I understand your anxiety and you have some issues and it happened when you were in childhood and, and, and that's just the way you are. That's your Enneagram number. You're just locked in. That's who you're going to be for the rest of your life. You're just a two. You're just a three. That's who you are. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's okay. <laughs> and, and, but he doesn't like say, well, I'm sorry you, you're triggered that way. Maybe you should take some medication for that. And he, that's, he's getting to a deeper roots here. He's just saying, and he's reading it, he just says, you have little faith. And, and when you read it, it almost sounds like, how much more will your father clothe you? Oh, you of little faith? It's almost like Jesus is offended here. And I, I think he is. Let me read you a quote. It says this, worry is not a trivial sin because it strikes a blow at God's love and God's integrity. Worry declares our heavenly father to be untrustworthy and his word and his promises. To avow a belief in the inerrancy of scripture and in the next moment to express worry is to speak out of both sides of our mouths. Worry shows that we are mastered by our circumstances and by our own finite perspectives and understanding rather than by God's word. Worry is therefore not only debilitating and destructive, but maligns and impugns the character of God. Woo! Got us with that one. And you think about that for a moment, and you think, man, it almost sounds like Jesus is a little bit offended here. And listen, he is. Because he's like, do you not know my father? You know the father that you've grown up your whole life reading about, that you've studied your whole life? Do, do you not trust him? I mean, he's good. I love it in the Chronicles of Narnia. They talk about Aslan, and they say, man, Aslan's supposed to represent God. And he said, man, is Aslan safe? And they say, no, no, Aslan's not safe, but he's good. And I can see here Jesus saying, like, do you not trust my father? And see, his solution to worrying about what's happening in our lives, his solution to worrying about what could happen or what might happen or what has happened or what people might say will happen is simple. Jesus' solution to worry is faith. Now, that's a simple solution to life's biggest problems. But for many of us in the room today, that brings you no hope at all. For overcoming worry. Why? Because some of you in the room today, you have chronic anxiety. You have an issue in your life that is debilitating. You have legitimate doubts about God's goodness because you lost a loved one too soon. You experienced trauma and many ordinary circumstances because maybe you were assaulted at a young age. Or, or, or you worry about the worst case scenario in every scenario. And, and you don't want to worry anymore. Nobody wants to worry. And here's the thing for many of you all who struggle with this, you've tried faith. And so when I say this, there's a tension in the room. Because you've tried having faith. And the last thing you want to do is be guilted by another preacher, another sermon, and another well-meaning Christian to just have faith. Or we're in the South, so it goes like this. Just have faith, brother. Just believe, sister. 
And, and we've been told this over and over again because an adult, as adults, we know that faith isn't that easy all the time. It's not something that we can get on Amazon Prime and we can order it and it'll be here in three days. Because you've tried having faith. You may have tried letting go and letting God. You've tried getting back into church. You've tried reading your Bible. And no matter how many, how many times you try, you can't get over worry and anxiety. And the thing is, most of us legitimately want to stop worrying, but legitimately have no idea how to move from fear to faith. Because we've been told, well, just have faith. Just get it. Just have faith. But when you actually look at the words of Jesus, and this is so key to understanding, because I don't want to be somebody who just tells you just to have faith. But when you actually look at the words of Jesus, let me break something down. It's so important to understanding faith. When he says this in verse 30b, he says, Oh, you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, remember that, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? See, there's a connection that I need you to understand here in in order to truly understand faith. See, the worst landing is political landing. Okay? (laughs) If I'm constantly focused on politics, I'm going to argue all day long. Now, if I'm constantly talking about politics and believing everything on the news, what do you think I'm focused on? Politics. I'm usually spending plenty of time on Twitter. I'm I'm spending plenty of time listening to talk radio as I drive. When I get home, I'll turn on Hannity or CNN or something like that, and and I'll, I'll watch all those things. Here's my point. What you believe and what you focus on are interconnected. Therefore, when Jesus is saying, do not be anxious, saying that word there, What Jesus is, the point he's making is that people who are always focused on what is happening or what has happened or what could happen or what people say will happen will always be worried about those things. Because saying indicates it's a verb. You are putting your focus on those worries. I love how one pastor puts it. He says this, the way you speak about your season determines the way you experience your season. So some of you are like, man, I'm just in a difficult season. What if we change that? Because now you're focused on the difficult. What if we change that and say, man, man, I'm in a season where I'm learning to trust Jesus more. That kind of changes everything. That changes where we put our focus. For example, in in the summer of 2017, Leanna and I, we, we walked through a miscarriage. And, and through that, if you've ever walked through that, you know how difficult of a season that can be in your life. And, and, and we had an opportunity throughout that time to speak about our season. And, and, and we decided that we were going to speak openly about the pain because it hurt. But we were also going to speak about the promise. Because, and, and we would say this all the time, that, you know, Yes, it's hard. Yes, this was not, not easy for us, and it broke our hearts. But, but in the end, our baby got to be with Jesus, and we got to become more like him. We got to become more like Jesus, and our marriage was stronger. So, so we didn't really lose anything at the end of the day. 
And so the way we spoke about our season determined, yes, it was hard, but there was hope in that. And see, we could, we could have focused on the possibility that we may not be able to have a baby. We could have focused on the many friends around us who were having babies all at the same time. We could have focused on what could happen, but instead, we got our focus back on the promises of God over our lives. See, and maybe that could, be, that, that could be the case for you in whatever circumstances. You're not struggling financially. You're striving to trust God's provision. You're not walking through cancer. You're walking like Jesus through suffering. You're not lonely because of a breakup. You're experiencing God breaking something new into your life. You didn't get rejected from that job. You got redirected to your purpose. You did not experience a setback. You got set up for kingdom impact. See, the way we speak about our season determines the way we're going to experience. And here's the thing. It's not because you speaking about God's goodness makes God more good. It's not you speaking about God's strength doesn't like, I'm just going to give him more strength than this. You're not wooing God or willing God to do anything for your life. What you're doing is you're making yourself aware of the character and nature of your father who was already there. And so what we're doing is we're heightening our senses back onto who God is. So here's my bottom line for this morning, and it's this. And it says, your faith is produced or reduced by your focus. So, so where you put your faith, that's going to produce something. If you put your faith in what the news says, that's going to reduce your faith in God. Where you put your focus, if you're constantly on, on social media believing everything that everyone says, your faith in God is going to be reduced. See, our faith is produced or reduced by our focus. So here's what he tells them to do. He says this. He says, oh, you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? He says these two things, and this is key to understanding what focus is. He says, for the Gentiles, they seek after these things. And he says, your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God And his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day, its own trouble. Now, there were two things that I want you to to notice from, from this part of the text. He tells them to do, first thing is to think. He says, think about this. Your heavenly father knows that you need them. Now, he's, he's kind of walked through three truths about God. He says that your fa- heavenly Father knows you, your heavenly Father loves you, and your heavenly Father values you. And so when we're learning how to focus so that we can produce faith, the first thing is we need to think about God. So you want to grow in God, that means you have to know God. You have to know his truth, his word, through experience and through what's in our Bibles. We have to think, but we also, we have to do this. He says, but then you need to seek first the kingdom of God. I rarely find people who are crippled with anxiety who are serving their hearts out. He says to think and to do. Because when you think and you do, that equals your focus. So the question I want you to ask today as we close up is, is your focus producing or reducing your faith in God. So let's talk about what you think about. What do you, what do you think about? He, he talks about how you need to, to think about how your heavenly father knows 
He sees, he knows, and he cares. So if you're focusing on that, your faith is produced. But if you're focusing on what could happen, what might happen, what people say happen, your faith in God is going to be reduced. Because what you think about will often produce or reduce your faith. So let me just ask you these questions, and they're going to be quick, but these are what I'm just going to call diagnostic questions for our hearts. And I can't talk about them all in length. You can go back on and watch them online or, or take a picture of the screen. But, but the first thing is just a diagnostic question. Does the content I consume inspire fear or faith? So you think about the, the blogs and the articles and the, and the shows and the Netflix documentaries that you watch. I mean, do, do those things make me have more faith in God or more fear about life? Just ask your heart that question. What about this? Do I allow someone else's opinion of me to change my decision? Some of us, we don't really care what anybody thinks about us. That's probably an issue too. But if we're constantly allowing the opinions of our parents or the opinions of a friend to change our decision, then that might mean that we're giving in to some worry in our heart. Or what about this? Could my worst case scenario happen and God still be good? Now, I think about my worst case scenario. My worst case scenario is, is, is losing my family. And I think about that is if that, if everything in my mind happened in that scenario, do I truly believe that God is still who he says he is? If I can't say yes, then I probably have let some, some worry in my heart. See, your faith will be produced or reduced by your focus. And maybe in order for you to find faith, you need to, to, that you need to overcome worry, you need to fix your focus. So just let those, what you think about, do a little heart check for us this morning. What about these? What do you do with your time? It's another area because he says, think and do. Now, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. And as we've already covered, that means we're shifting our focus from the wants of me into the needs of we. So, so let me just ask you a couple questions here with this. So what does my screen time say about me? Do you know there's a little phone, uh, an app on your phone at screen time that you can go and check how much time you spend on your phone? It's probably not good. It's not for me. But if, if I'm always on the screen, if I'm always on Facebook, if I'm always on social networking, then that, that probably means that I'm allowing some worry and I'm allowing too many voices of the world into my life. What about this? Does my work determine when I worship? I'm worried. I mean, i got to put food on the table. I can't, I can't commit to come to base camp for three weeks because i got to work on week two. And, 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 and I, can't, I can't really commit to serving on, uh, or bringing my kids on Wednesday nights because, man, they got a job. And they just got their first job at, like, a Sonic or somewhere. And that's going to totally determine their career for the rest of their life. And, and, and so, I mean, church really isn't. But whatever. Uh, does work determine? Uh, you see, that's a little soft spot for me. Uh, does, does work determine my when I worship? What about this? Do I plan more than I pray? Ooh, I'm a planner. I love my calendar. It's like my best friend. Maybe if you're, you're just planning and you're not praying, you're worried about your life. So let me just challenge you this morning as I close up. Just fix your focus. See, what does it mean to fix our focus? Well, what it means is we repent. Because worry, though we like to talk about it as just an emotion, it's not just an emotion. It's a sin. 
Worry is probably the most acceptable sin amongst American Christians. It's just, yeah, I'm just worried about this. I'm, I'm just really worried about that. And, and we kind of pass it off like it's godly concern. But it's not. It offends Jesus. So, so what, what do we do with that? Well, we do it like we do any other sin. We repent. We turn from it. And we run back to the goodness and the character of our Father. And we say, God, I know that I'm wrong. I know this was a sin. I know this is the reason you died on the cross for me. God, give me a distaste for my sin and and give me a craving for godliness. God, I don't want to worry anymore. We repent of that and we get our focus back off everything that could happen, everything that might happen, everything that people say will happen, and everything that has happened, and we get our eyes back on Jesus. Fix your focus. And some of, us in, 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 some of us today, all we need to do is you just need to remember who your daddy is. You just got to remember who your father is. See, God is crying out to your heart, do I not value you? Look at the birds. Do I not care about you? Look at the flowers. Do I not know you? Look at your life. Do I not love you? Look at the cross. We so easily forget that our Father has what's best in store for His children. We forget that our Father knows what's best for our hearts. We forget that our Father loves our kids more than we do. We forget that our Father created a plan for our lives before the foundations of the world. We forget that our Father loves us. We forget that our Father cares for us. We forget that our Father values us because we lose our focus. And here's what the enemy knows. He knows that if he can distract the people of God from the kingdom of God, that he can neutralize the impact that we have on the world. He knows that if he can get us to focus on me instead of we, that we can live an impactless life in the valley instead of a life of purpose on the mountain. Did you ever go to the circus as a kid? And and maybe before before they took all the animals away and the circus died, maybe you remember seeing this scene. A lion in a stool. Now, that didn't seem weird to me as a kid. But now when I look at a man here fending off a lion with a stool, why is that lion not taking him down? Why is that lion not just going through? I mean, this is the king of the jungle. He is the apex predator in this situation. But there's a stool. Well, I I, I researched into this. The reason the lion can't attack the man is because he's lost his focus. He focuses on every point of the stool instead of the man. And so the lion goes to attack, and and he gets close, and he he gets scared about what's happening over here, and, and he sees this, and he can't get his focus, so his impact is gone. And I feel like that's the enemy's game plan for our lives, right? 
If he can get us focusing on what's happening over here, if he can get us caring about what has happened in our past, if he can get us so caught up in what might happen, if he can get us so concerned with, with what people say will happen, that we will all forget that Christ in us is a lion. And listen, God made a promise in the book of Matthew. He says that the gates of hell will not stand against his or will not stand against the church. The gates of hell cannot stand against the church. So when we go, we're the apex predator because Jesus Christ, the same power that rose Christ from the dead, is living right inside of us. And the enemy knows that if he can distract us and get us worried, that we become impactless. Christians, hear me today. Ephesians 1.3 says that you have every spiritual blessing in Christ. That means everything you need to live life on the mountain and fight back the powers of darkness were bought with the blood of King Jesus. Which means your focus was bought for you at Calvary. So when you start to panic, you can pray. When anxiety comes, you can remember that God is in control. When you start to fear, you can focus. When you don't know what to do, you can lift your hands. When you don't know where to go, you can hit your knees. When you don't know what to say, you can sing. When you're triggered, you can trust. And when you worry, you can worship. Because no amount of worry has ever changed tomorrow. But seeking first the kingdom of God changes everything. For every person on planet earth. See, in Christ, foothills, we can do this. We can win the battle against worry. But we need to fix our focus. Hebrews 12 says this. And I'm going to add a little to it as we go. But therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, every worry, every anxiety, every amount of trauma, every amount of hardship, every amount of what could happen, what, what might happen. Let us weigh aside every weight and sin which so clings so closely. And let us run with endurance. Let us hike the mountain with endurance. Let us finish the race with endurance that is set before us looking to Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, setting our gaze upon the kingdom where King Jesus sits, looking to Jesus, the founder, the author, and the perfecter of our faith, for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When God's word says, set your eyes on things above, you know what's above? King Jesus. That's focus. Church. Let's bring our focus back this morning. And let's lay ourselves back down at this altar. Let's lay ourselves back down at the feet of Jesus over and over and over again, which we're about to sing. And guess what? When we do that, we move from fear to faith. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to ask you not to look at your phones. Please don't leave the room right now. We got to focus. We have a kingdom. That, is, that, that we have to bring to earth right here through us. We need to focus in this morning on King Jesus. So I'm going to pray and we're going to worship. And we're going to come back to him over and over again.
Lord Jesus, help us set our gaze back on you. You be the lifter of our head. God, you sent your son who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. God, he never distracted. He never wavered. He kept his focus on Calvary where he was going for his own glory and for our good. So God, give us the strength to focus in like you did. God, I know in a, in a room like this that there may be some, some deep issues, God, and I pray that, that they would be moved maybe to find counseling or that they would be moved to talk with somebody today to, 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 to get some help so they can get their focus back. But Lord Jesus, I pray that you move us from fear to faith in this moment. We love you. It's in King Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.